I think we each have to get clear about what we love most and most want to serve in a time when there are crises all around. I think we all need to vote. I think uh, that's really important, right? 100%. And, and otherwise, take some tiny portion of your time each week to serve something you really care about that you know is unjust yeah. and that you know needs tending. And in that way, if enough of us do it, you know, good things will happen. Welcome to the Bombshell Business Podcast, where driven women in business learn how to become more bold, brave, and unwaveringly confident. Feel empowered and challenged through inspiring stories and tell it like it is advice for business, life, and leadership. Hi, Bombshell. Welcome or welcome back. I am so happy to have you with me today and my very special guest. I think that we're probably going to swim in the deep end today if I had to guess. So get your floaties on if that makes you uncomfortable. And for the rest of you, you're like, heck yes, like, let's just go ahead and dive in. Let me tell you about my guest, Nina. As co-founder and chief relationship of Bioneers.org, Nina Simmons draws on her extensive experience with multicultural leadership development in her work as a social entrepreneur, producer, and culture worker, passionate about reinventing leadership, restoring the feminine, and establishing racial, gender, and environmental equity. She's the author of the award-winning second edition of Nature, Culture, and the Sacred, A Woman Listens for Leadership, which is available paperback, Kindle, and audiobook. And she has experience in nonprofit, for-profit, and philanthropic organizations. So I'm personally happy to share her knowledge and her comprehensive perspective with you today. Welcome to the show, Nina. Thanks so much, Amber. Great to be here with you. So exciting having you here from Santa Fe. So, okay, let's just dive in straight away to this little book that you wrote that has um, you know, just some very small ideas in it. And that is well-placed sarcasm if you didn't catch on. We had a little bit of a conversation before we started recording and you and you told me a little bit about the journey to get this book out there into the world. Can you walk our listeners through that? Sure. Well, you know, as you mentioned in my bio, Amber, really since 1990, I have been co-leading an organization called Bioneers. And Bioneers is really about identifying and then featuring breakthrough solutions for people and planet. And so it's an unusual kind, of, it's like a an environmental and social star search. Oh, um, so great. <laughs> in many ways, we started it in response to the early outcry about climate and climate change. But it's unusual in that we address a whole spectrum of different kinds of innovative approaches in the recognition that everything is part of one whole system. So we see business and economy and politics and, you know, child raising and racial justice and gender justice and youth activism as all part of the same thing, because really we humans are a subset of nature. And so Bioneers has been an amazing learning field for me, where first I learned how much I love to market ideas and to stand with extraordinary innovative leaders who were relatively unknown, many of them. And also, I began this quest through Bioneers to explore what leadership is and what it means and whether it's changing. 
I started being acknowledged for my leadership with Bioneers, and I realized I was very uncomfortable with it. And I thought, well, this is odd if what the world needs from all of us is leadership at every level in every unique way, then we have to find a definition of leadership we can all wholeheartedly aspire to. So that was part of my journey. And another part was, as I was mentioning to you earlier, the discovery of how much my gender was influencing my experience of both my professional and my personal and my inner life. And I discovered that first when I was turned on to a film that was made in the early 90s that's online and it's called The Burning Times. And any of your listeners can find it and watch it for free. It's about an hour-long film. It's a little dated, but it does tell the story of the three to 400-year period in European history, which had correlations really throughout the world, where seven or eight generations of women and some men, but mostly women, were persecuted and often tortured and burned for the supposed crime of being witches. Yeah. <laughs> and right when I saw that, I remember just thinking, how could I not have learned about this in school? Because it's a huge event in human history. And as I saw it, I began to understand, Amber, that all of the challenges and imbalances and problems that I knew about from Bioneers could be seen as a result of the imbalance of the, quote, masculine and the, quote, feminine in our psyches, in our cultures, in our institutions. And the more I investigated and learned about how many of our institutions shifted from the purview of women to the purview of men during that time, the more I believed it to be true. And I knew that the legacy of that story, because it went on so long, somehow lives on in my bones. And I thought, yeah, go ahead. Well, no, please finish your thought. I didn't mean to, like, you have such good stuff. I'll interject after you finish. (laughs) This is like, well, my whole body's just like wanting to jump out of my chair going, yes, 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 yes. I know. Yes. <laughs> well, that's how I felt. And I thought, well, if it lives on in my bones and it helps me understand ways that I have self-limiting beliefs, I wonder if that's true for other women. And then I embarked on about 20 years of convening diverse women leaders for a week-long deep immersion into their leadership because although we had selected them for their leadership, they all arrived saying, no, I don't consider myself a leader. And so we went through this whole process of sort of unpacking, you know, women and leadership and and then kind of reassembling and giving women an experience of how powerfully we can support and accelerate each other's learning. Ah. So that's all what went into the book was like, a lot of years of studying amazing leaders and working with probably a thousand women. Oh, wow. So like I said, hope that you brought your floaties because here we go. Uh, <laughs> this is, there's so much there to even unpack, but the, the thing that really popped out at me, like all this stuff is like bubbling up as you're talking. And then I'm just like energetically wanting to hop out of my chair, but 
when you started talking about like, does this still impact us? And did you know that there was a 300 to 400 year period? This is not even like, you know, in Boston, what happened with the Salem witch trials, or this is, this was like a huge part of history that we just gloss over kind of like a lot of stuff in history. Um, at least in school. And now we have the interwebs where we can find out all the things, but there's also genetic memory that we pass down. And so we actually have the, the trauma experience of the people who came before us, whose DNA is in our DNA. And so I can't even imagine just between like the societal, the cultural, and then the genetic impact, like, were were you just like, was your mind melting as you were on this journey of like, wow, look what I'm up against? Well, my mind was more exploding than it was melting, actually. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the analytic part of my mind was like, I've got to research this. Is this all true? Wow. And, you know, there were economic shifts, there were shifts in medicine and healing, there were shifts in our relationship to land. But exactly as you say, Amber, science has now proven epigenetic trauma to be a real thing. And, you know, and so for me, there's this fascinating correlation that says, if this was this gigantic an event in human history, And it depends which historians you believe, you know, it might have been 50,000 people, or it might have been a million or multi-millions of people. But in either event, it was a huge event in either case. And what that means to me is pretty much every human alive on the planet today carries some of that. You know, there are researchers who say that the gender bias is the deepest bias in the human psyche, Mm -hmm. deeper than faith or race or anything else. And um, I'm coming to believe that that's true, but it's also very interesting in relation to racial justice because you realize, oh, Native American people, indigenous people, carry the epigenetic imprint of what's been done to their ancestors, and so do the African-American people. And this is not, you know, so on some level, it's a great equalizer, right? It's like, we all have trauma, and we all are recovering from a civilization that's left us with a lot of false ideas and imbalances that we get to rectify for being alone and alive in this time when we can. Right. So recently I spoke to the business and professional women of Florida mm-hmm. and I spoke about the 19th amendment and that being ratified. Cause of course that was solidified in Tennessee where I live and where I'm from. And, and because I've been so involved in women's initiatives and organizations here, like I, I got mm-hmm. some of the backstory to it, you know, and there's like some, some fun facts to throw in there. And one of the things that I was trying to express, because it's so easy to be like, and we got the right to vote. Yay. And it's like, well, no, not everybody. Not everybody, actually. Because Black women didn't get to vote. Indigenous people didn't get to vote. And then like, okay, well, when did they? Oh, like literally when my mom was around and hanging out was when they got to vote. So like this, oh, like women have come so far. What are you complaining about? It's like, tell me. That happened like last week, historically. (laughs) So it's so true that we do have this historical trauma that's been passed down, but we also have our memory from like literally last week. 
So what was going on inside of you? I, I know kind of generally you're like, people are looking at me as a leader and I didn't really feel that way. If you weren't feeling like a leader, what were you feeling like? Well, I was feeling like a behind the scenes supporter, oh. which, is, which is what women often do, right? Because that's what we're told to do. Sure. And at one point, we had an organizational development person in who asked us to write the story of our relationship to our organization. And I basically described myself as being this behind the scenes supporter. And all the men I worked with said, are you kidding? You do so much more than that. That's not what you are. Mm. You know, and I realized, oh, man, well, so where did that come from? And part of what I did, Amber, I actually, I wrote a first book, which was called Moonrise, The Power of Women Leading from the Heart. And it has some men leaders in it too. And what I did was because I had this amazing archive of leaders, of hundreds of leaders to look at, I reviewed all their transcripts and I thought, who are the ones I most admire and what kind of leadership are they modeling? And how is it different from my mental model? And what I realized was, They were leading from the heart. They were choosing to lead in support of what they most loved or wanted to defend. So rather than leading because of an external title or something they inherited, they were leading because they were passionate. And their passion was what drove other people to support their work. And they were leading in collaborative ways. They didn't have to know all the answers all the time. They didn't have to be right all the time. They could lead in ways that really invited other people in and recognized the whole human of everyone on their team. And they led through what I call relational intelligence. Oh, so can you define that for us? Define relational intelligence. What a powerful way of framing that. Well, you know, I think we've all been raised with a bias that our minds have all the answers. (laughs) And a lot of ancient traditional indigenous peoples say, if we don't learn to lead from our hearts, we're in big trouble. Big, big and trouble. the longest distance is often between the head and the heart. Yeah. So relational intelligence to me means prioritizing relationship over task. It actually means understanding that whatever approach or strategy you're designing, you're designing it for people who are social creatures who are relating not only through their mental understanding, but through their bodies and their hearts and their intuitions and their empathy. And so, you know, you have some very creative solutions. There's actually a wonderful resource that if folks don't know, I should mention, which is a book called The Athena Doctrine. Um. And it's a book that describes a global study that was done by two guys. And they surveyed people in 13 countries and thousands. It was a meta survey. And what they found was that 66% of the people they surveyed said the world would be a healthier place if more people led like women. And, you know, that has to do with a relational intelligence that men have too. I mean, I think we all have masculine and feminine within 100%. Right? But we've all been raised in ways that tend to devalue those human qualities we associate with the feminine. 
Yeah. And hypervalue those human qualities we associate with the masculine. Yeah. And I think we have to move towards balance. And yeah. relational intelligence is key to that. So I've I've said this before and and I teach it in in my coursework. For those of you who are like, what are you guys talking about? Is that girl and boy? Like, no, it's, it's so when you're talking about that kind of energy, I always reference back to Christina Lopes, uh, the, the heart centered coach, or I can't remember exactly her branding, but she describes the feminine, the limitless creative potential of feminine energy as like the compass. And then she describes that male get it done active energy as like the machete which velvet machete is one of my sub brands. So I was like, Ooh, I like that. So, <laughs> so when you're, when you're like, you get in front of a forest and then you know that where you're going is on the other side of that forest. If you unite that limitless creative potential and you create a plan and then you partner that with the get it done machete chopping, you don't hack down the entire forest. You create your path and you have the path of least resistance to get to the outcome that you want. If you just were hacking, you're going to destroy. And if you're just planning, you're never going to get there. They have to go together. And we all have both inside of us. And some, like, I feel like I'm super feminine in some ways, but if you ask most people who know me, they'd be like, Amber's got a ton of masculine energy. <laughs> so, <laughs> And I'm like, great, I'm balanced. Cool. Then fantastic. <laughs> exactly. Well, my premise is that we all have masculine and feminine within us, as you say, and all the ancient spiritual traditions have said, you got to have them both together in order to really survive and thrive. And my sense is in my leadership, I want to be able to pull from anywhere on that spectrum at any mm, time. So, good. Right? so I want a full toolkit. I don't want to be limited to one side or another because I'm worried about how it's going to look. Mm -hmm. I want I want access to all of me. And frankly, in navigating a time that's as tumultuous and challenging as this time is, we all need access to all of ourselves. Yes. This is a yeah. really good opportunity to share this quote, if I may. So if you don't know who Gloria Steinem is, then you must have been living under a rock for uh, decades now. But she's a world-renowned feminist and Miss Magazine co-founder. And she wrote of your book, this book that we're talking about, the world seems to be divided into two kinds of people, those who divide everything into two and those who don't. Reading nature, culture, and the sacred is a step towards melting this false division into feminine and masculine and allowing each of us to become fully human again and at last. Wow. I love that. <laughs> well, and Amber, you know, it's interesting hearing you read that because what it brings up for me is how we're living in a time of so many binaries. Yep. And really, we all need to learn to relax that self-righteous, dug-in positionary stance and say, if diversity is what makes life resilient, how do we build our capacity to appreciate true diversity and not get log jammed in an either or binary perspective, you know, yeah. which young people are certainly advocating for all over the place. Oh yeah. It's like, we're about to have a tidal wave of something totally different. And I don't know if you observe this or not. I think those of us who are seekers, those of us who have an inner world already, those of us who are fully aware of the fact that we are on our journey, <laughs> awake maybe. And I don't, not woke, you know, I don't, I don't want to use that word because it has a different connotation now, 
but my observation through the COVID shutdown and, you know, the stay at home orders throughout the pandemic, those who were not awake started to thaw and started to see the world a little bit differently. They were forced, those who didn't watch the Tiger Show on 24-7 loop, <laughs> they were forced to sit with themselves. They were forced to not be distracted by the to-dos of the day and everybody else's expectations and travel and business because it all shut down. There was nothing to do except for sit with self. It was almost like the universe, God, you know, source, whatever it is that you believe just like shook up the world and was like, this isn't working anymore. Sit with yourselves. And then like, suddenly I felt this unleashing of feminine energy in all areas of the world. And now I feel this discomfort of like people trying to get back to where we were before COVID sprung up on us. And then people who are like, no, 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 we're on a good trajectory here. Like, let's ride this wave. I feel the friction. Do you? Well, yes, although I may perceive it a little differently than you do. Okay. Um, you know, at the beginning, Amber, when you said we're diving into the deep end, <laughs> I thought really all of us have been plunged into the deep end right. during the last three years. And for me, it's not only the COVID pandemic, but the confluence of catastrophes that we're yes. facing, right? And it's a political catastrophe. It's a racialized p- catastrophe. 100%. It's a climate emergency. Emergency. war. You know, it's authoritarianism. It's all these things. And they're like colliding. And it's so clear that none of our systems are working well and that we actually have an awful lot of repair ahead of us. And reinvention, really. Yeah. And I think as leaders, it's a very important time to help reorient our teams toward change being a good thing, because there ain't no normal anymore. That's know? right, sister. <laughs> the climate is not going back, not anytime soon. And we are going to face more serial challenges. And so we better toughen ourselves up at the same time. You know, I've been thinking about an essay I want to write that's about developing a thick skin and a thin skin at the same time, because I think we need both in order to navigate this time that actually, I mean, I don't know about folks listening, but I've I've experienced a lot of losses in the last three years and a lot of grief and a lot of hardship, right? And I think many of us have. And those of us who are parents, my heavens, what a hard thing to go through as a parent and who have elder parents, all of it. I mean, it's been really tough. So, yes, I think it's a really important time to to for introspection, but also to recognize that our staffs and our teams are looking. Well, they're looking for a different level of fulfillment in their work and to be met in a different way than the old model. And I think that requires us as leaders to stretch. It certainly does. And, you know, there's this term, I haven't even addressed it on social media because I'm just kind of rolling my eyes at it. And I'm like, oh, I don't even want to join that conversation, but I'm about to do it. This whole concept of quiet quitting. And it's like, if you don't bleed for your company and put in your 70 hour work week. And listen, I'm all about discretionary effort, but I'm about discretionary effort because we all care so much that we're coming together to do this bigger thing to, to, as, you know, as a collective on the team, I'm not about unrealistic expectations and 
ridiculous deadlines that are don't even have meaning behind them just so that we can drive results and you know get that extra dollar at the end of the day like i'm not for that kind of quote expected discretionary efforts so now this whole conversation around if an employee comes in and the value exchange is you give me my salary and i give you exactly what you're paying me for that that somehow is their quiet quitting and i'm just like no that's somebody doing their job and taking a paycheck yes and and even that, the fact that we're having this huge social media conversation, at least in my space, I do employer branding, we're having this huge conversation around something that is like so ridiculous and what you just said to find it. Like we are reevaluating what does fulfillment in a professional capacity mean to me? What are my new boundaries? What are my expectations of myself, of the people I work with, of the people I work for, of the type of customers I want to work with even? And with life being this fragile and in the balance, yeah. what does living a good life look like? Yeah. And, you know, at least I can say for sure in the nonprofit world that the expectations have been impossible to meet. Mm-hmm. And as a result, there has been somewhat of a revolving door around leadership in the nonprofit sector because being an executive director is a job for three people. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and so the the rate of burnout is just terrible. And I understand people not wanting to work more than a 40-hour week. I get it. And, you know, I'm a founder, so I've been driven and I work a lot more, but I can't expect that from my employees. And I think there are those of us like, you know, I love the game of business. I love it. It's a game. And if I pull this lever, what's that going to do? Oops, I lost a life. Better go to the... Go get the the mushroom, bump my head on the mushroom, and then I'll get a second life. And then I'm just going to try a different way to like, you know, get to King Koopa or, you know, whatever Um, reference for those uh, children of the 80s and 90s. That would be uh, Super Mario Brothers. But I love that. I'm driven by it. I, I, I have purpose in my work. And so like my vocation and my purpose align very different than punching a clock and standing on a line and doing work, standing up for, you know, and being asked to work overtime all the time that is no longer working. So you talk about how like-minded women, instead of competing and having that like adversarial relationship, that we really need to form networks and come together and redefine what does leadership look like? How are we going to do business? You know, what does equity look like? How do we have sustainability? How do we respect the earth and humanity and ourselves, ourselves, ourselves? How do we respect ourselves? Mm-hmm. Okay. So what, what's your game plan there, Nina? You're, well, you're the boss you know, today. Honestly, I feel like one of the great revelations of all those years of work for me was recognizing that if you sit with other women on a regular basis, and it could be three other women, it doesn't have to be a big women's circle, but being able to come together and share in a really vulnerable way when something knocks you sideways or your self-confidence gets pulled out from under you, you know, being able to share those things and the strategies for how do you rebound from it, which is a lot of what my book is about, yeah. you know, but, but a lot of it is, hey, if we come together, we've all been programmed by Hollywood to do cat fights and competition. <laughs> yeah. The truth is, you know, if we ditch that stuff, we probably got programmed by the burning times to do it too. Uh-huh. 
if we can shut I'm not the witch. Home. She's the witch. That's <laughs> right. her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, if if we actually can come together, I know, you know, sisterhood feels like an old generational reference, but the power of having each other's backs and actually being able to share the trials and the strategies that get you through them are incredible, you know? I have um, three girlfriends and I texted them last night and I've been a little absent because I've been traveling. I have a lot of chaos going on in my life. Not that I invited, just, you know, just coming to the party with or without that invite. And, uh, and just, there's a lot going on in the business. And so I just, I'm like, you know, Hey, I, I just wanted to check in, blah, blah, blah. And I'm sorry that I've been a really S H I T T Y for <laughs> friend. <laughs> and, and they're like, you haven't been, what are you talking about? We're all running a million miles a minute. Like, let's see where in the next month we all come together and, you know, that sort of thing. But this group, first of all, the fact that I could just say that is so nice. Second of all, we all have each other's personality profile assessments and reports. We all have each other's human design. <laughs> I know all of their astrological charts backwards and forwards. Yeah. I mean, like I know these women and I know like when something happens or they fall, they feel like they've fallen on their face. Like I know what wound that hit. Yes. I know what it is that they were trying to do yeah. if they ever, and I can't even think of a time, but it, let's just say they were to say something that was out of turn. There's so much grace there because of how much they have seen me, like truly seen me, not used me, seen me and embraced who that person is and pushed me to be that person who's called me out when I talk down to myself, who calls me out when I'm thinking small and playing small ball, who edify me and encourage me when I'm winning, not get jealous or tear me down. Like, of course I'm going to pour that into them. And it wouldn't even like it would it's it would just bounce right off of me if they ever said something that maybe was not how they meant it or whatever. I wouldn't yeah. dream of being offended because yeah. that those are my girls. Yeah. Like, yeah. What if we all had that instead of this backbiting nonsense? Well, exactly. I mean, I feel like what has carried me through the pandemic. Now I've been very fortunate because I live in a beautiful place. Mm-hmm. I've got an amazing partner. But really I have this network of women who I know I can turn to at any time. And there is, as you said, there's so much grace there and relational capital. Yes. You know, it's like, oh, they'll forgive me anything. Yeah. And I can go to them when I just need to blab or sob or wail, yeah. you know. And, or be weak, to have a safe weak. place to be weak. That's right. Or say, what should I do? Right. You know? <laughs> And for those who, you know, I'm very careful to say that I support and empower women, not to the detriment of men, but to the benefit of all. That is very important to me. I'm a daddy's girl. I'm a boy mom. I have beautiful relationships with male friends. And the heck, the person who wrote the forward to the bombshell businesswoman is a man. So I don't want anybody to listen and misunderstand that like, go female and we're all, you know, like men suck. That's not what we're saying at all. There's just a different and a safer connection. And I can say as somebody who's, you know, recently divorced in the past year and a half or so, technically less than a year, but separated, you know, it's not safe for me anymore to assume things that are just platonic. So if I didn't have my female friends, I would be starved right now. Yes. Yes. And and that dynamic has to be considered as well. Well, and you know, the other thing that I would bookend to what you've just said, Amber, is men benefit from having close male allies too, because really sure. 
you know, just like we're working to strip away all the female conditioning, there's a boatload of male conditioning that is toxic. Yeah. That, you know, that frankly, men in caucus, whether it's with one good friend or five, make a lot more progress than doing it on their own. Yeah. And I think we also need to be very conscious of not always saying things like, oh, it's a good old boys club. No, that is a close male friendship and it's the support that they need. Like sometimes it is, don't get me wrong. Sometimes it is, it's a good old boys club and they intentionally are, you know, circling the wagons and keeping others out. But the reality is they need support and they need deep, intimate friendships with men too. So like, let's, let's let them off the hook just a little bit. (laughs) Totally, totally, totally. So as we are wrapping up here, before I ask you my final, final question, I would love to just, and I know it's like, oh, okay, let's have a whole other episode. We've talked a lot about women and we've touched on other discrete minorities, but we have a lot going on. And as the mom who, you know, had all the kids at her house growing up, you know, I had minimum five, we'd go up 30 or 40 at times. If there's a party, way more than that. And what I love about my son is that it didn't really matter socioeconomic conditions. It doesn't really matter race. Like it didn't matter. It didn't matter what school they went to. My son went to private school. So I had this like really diverse group of kids for years and years at my house. And um, I might even get emotional. Give me a second. Um, The very first time that my son begged me to have friends over after the stay at home orders were lifted, I was like, okay, but you have to stay outside. And you have to kind of keep apart from each other. And, you know, everybody needs to like, let's get some prepackaged food. Like, I just, I didn't know. I knew that they needed community. I know that like they all needed to come to the safe place. And time went on. I happened to be privy because of my coaching of some higher level things. And I got word that there was going to be a lot of curfews that were going to go into place at the state level because of the response to the George Floyd murder. And I was aware of something that was happening in a county next to us and how they were simultaneously announcing the curfew and immediately arresting people for breaking it. And the majority of those people were of color. And I had about five black kids, three boys. And so I had to go downstairs and I had to sit them all down. And this is a heartbreaking, I I, I mean, I'm just trying to keep it together even to tell the story. I had to look at these beautiful children, high schoolers, (laughs) my babies, and just say like, hey, this is what's up. And, um, And you're black on the west side of town in a gated community right now. And I want to think better of this community. I really, really do. But the reality is you either need to go home right now or you need to call your parents and let me talk to them and you spend the night. That's it. Those are your options. And then the girls, you know, I was like, you guys just need to like, I would make a place for them, but not as much of a risk, right? Um, And so in that moment, I just thought, this is the first time that I had that absolute fear of what could happen just for them walking out the door and getting in a car. And how many times does a black mother feel this in a single week? Yeah. Oh, I yeah. was gutted, 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 gutted as a mom. Um, still, obviously not okay with it. And so we have the issue of women, 
And then we have the issue of race and we have the issue of gender identity. What do we do, Nina? <laughs> like, what can one person do to start to move towards leading in a way that is inclusive and promotes equity? Well, Amber, thank you for having the courage to share that story. You know, I I have a story that I write in my book about my own kind of radical discovery of how my privilege had separated me from the empathic awareness that you just described about every Black mother in this country facing the danger to their kids every day. And it takes courage to speak that stuff in public. And, you know, my sense is none of us can do it all, although we, you know, we certainly have a lot of programming and ambition to do it all. But the truth is, we each have to do our part. That's exactly whatever is the right fit for what moves us the most. And for some of us, it has to do with diversity and inclusion. For other folks, it has to do with nature, you Mm. know. I mean, there are a million crises going on in the world. For other folks, it has to do with hunger and poverty and water. You know, there are a million places to serve what you love. And frankly, I think the job for each of us, and I think it's one of the great discoveries for me about leadership is that I hope to continue learning and cultivating myself as a leader until the day I die. Yeah. It's not like there's an end point, you know? Yeah. So in answer to your question, I think we each have to get clear about what we love most and most want to serve in a time when there are crises all around. I think we all need to vote. I think Uh, that's really important, right? 100%. And, And otherwise, take some tiny portion of your time each week to serve something you really care about that you you know is unjust and that you know needs tending. And in that way, if enough of us do it, good things will happen. Yeah, I love that. And as you are speaking to that, what came forward from memory, and I wish I could attribute who said this, I want to say it was a previous guest at some point over the past six plus years, might have read it somewhere or both. Um, This person said, figure out what most offends you and then start doing small things to improve upon that. Can I just embellish on it a little bit? Yes, please. Which is, I would say, figure out either what breaks your heart or what you love the most. And it can go on either end of that. Yeah. And then find some way to contribute to that. Yeah. Because everything's up for reinvention right now which is simultaneously scary and exciting. But if you're a leader and an innovator and an entrepreneur, surely you can wrap your heart around it and, you know, contribute in that way for what's right for you because none of us can do as much as we care about. I think it's one of the challenges of this time is like, wow, where do I turn? Everything needs help. Yeah. And I, you know, and just side note, we'll put the in the show notes, this is the episode you should listen to after you listen to this one. Um, It was Emily Chang. She was, she was a guest and she wrote The Spare Room. So I did read it and I did interview it. That's why that came forward in my memory. But to your point of 
you know, picking your thing just because of my own experience as a woman in business. And I know that I'm a little more scrappy than the average human, male or female. That's where I feel like I can speak to with authenticity. It's what I can lead because of experience. I can speak to the challenges. I can speak to the victories. Mm -hmm. And if I stay in that lane, then that is my piece. And so sometimes people look at me and they're like, oh, Amber's, you know, like she's just angry at men. And I'm just like, oh my God, like (laughs) you don't get it. (laughs) No, there's a whole middle section of my book, Amber, that talks about all of the data that's been collected by the UN and globally, that as we increase the status and the education and the reproductive rights of women, everything gets better in the society, everything for everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just women. So part of the myth that I think we have to bust is the idea that if women get stronger, men are going to get weaker. That's not true. As women get stronger, everything gets healthier. And the economy benefits, the education benefits, everything, you know, and the and the environment. So, yes. you know, it's a one-stop solution. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. One-stop shop here. Just promote the woman. I love it. That's that's going to be my new uh, my new advertising. So, okay. I again, I just can talk for hours and hours with you, but we do have to come to a close because they've got to get off the treadmill. So, before I tell everybody where to find you online, what is that parting piece of advice that you would love to leave with a bombshell who is either, so we redefine the term bombshell to mean bold, brave, unwaveringly confident woman in business. So either she is one, feels like one most days, or she's aspiring to that. What would you tell her? (laughs) Well, I think first, Amber, to be really honest, I have to push back a little on unwaveringly confident because Uh I've been working at it for 25 years and I'm still not unwaveringly confident. So I mean, get back up. Okay. Okay. I don't mean I don't mean like you just never get to have a weak moment. I mean you have your weak moment and yeah. you get back up. That is the Beautiful. unwavering part. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. And you know, I think what it would be is I believe we're all products of a deficit culture that has made us more adept at self-judgment and self-critique than self-appreciation and self-love. Mm. And actually, as leaders. I think we have to give attention on an ongoing basis to how we're feeling in our bodies, in our psyches, and in our hearts, and care for ourselves as the instrument of this leadership, because otherwise we perpetuate a system of burnout that is out of balance, out of whack, and it's not going to serve us in the long haul. And frankly, I think we're in this for the long haul. I think we are in a a societal and civilizational transformation that asks a lot of all of us. And in order to show up in the best way, I think for too many years, I discounted what my creative self needed, what my body needed, what my playful self needed. And we have to tend to all the parts of ourselves in order to be resilient and strong and keep cultivating ourselves for the long haul and serve what we love and those around us in our best ways. Mm. 
Nina, I'm just personally so blessed. And I don't mean like the hashtag blessed on Instagram. I mean, I am feeling blessed right now having had this conversation with you and so many good nuggets from this conversation, not just nuggets, but really big picture things. I mean, when I said we're going to swim in the deep end, uh, here you go. (laughs) There's, There's a lot for each of us, you know, go back to this episode, listen again, you know, on your run tomorrow or in the car tomorrow again. I think it's one of those where there's so much covered here that maybe going back, you're going to pick up some new things, take some notes if you can, and and just commit. We've, we've covered so much that I just want you to commit to like maybe a couple things that Nina shared, obviously buy her book on Amazon. It'll be in the show notes, but pull out maybe one or two things that just hit you squarely between the eyes because it happened to me and I'm interviewing her trying to keep up. So, (laughs) and then make that your thing that you're going to focus on for the next 30 days, 45 days, 60 days, whatever that looks like. And, And just see what results you get by putting your time and attention towards that and see what the outcome is. So we can find Nina, you know, I always love for you to find our guests on LinkedIn because we are business women. So let's, talk business and more on LinkedIn. She's Nina Simmons there. Her book, as we mentioned, uh, we'll put that in the, the show notes, but you can find it on Amazon. You can find her at ninasimmons.com. And then of course, bioneers.org. And then if you'll just add to that, if you want to get straight to hers, uh, bioneers.org forward slash peoples with an S forward slash Nina stash Simmons. And all of this can be found on the show notes. So go to amberhurdle.com forward slash podcast, also with an S, and you can find different ways to reach out to her. And do you do speaking outside of, of your Bioneers conference? I sure do. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I'm online a lot, you know, so anyone can find me by just going to my own website at ninasimons.com. Awesome. Perfect. Okay. Well, I can't um, express enough appreciation for this time we spent together. And I'm so looking forward to sharing this episode far and wide. Thank you, Amber. It's been a delight. Well, Bombshell, thank you for spending your precious time with us today. I hope you got as much out of this episode as I did. And, you know, the, the best way to make sure that you are being a part of this process is to share this with another woman who needs to hear this wisdom from Nina. And this isn't about like, oh, I want to grow my show. I don't do the show for that reason. I do the show as an act of service. And so help me reach as many women as possible because I have these amazing guests like Nina so that they can hear these things and know that they're not alone. So my next challenge to you, other than taking notes and taking action, is to then share this with one or two people that you think can be as blessed as I am. So with that, we will see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Bombshell Business Podcast. Visit amberhurdle.com for more resources like show notes and check out the bombshellbusinesswoman.com to grab my book and download the free bonuses.